I bring to you grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for today's message is from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and the next section of it. And as we come to this word, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, your law penetrates to the deepest part of our soul. It leaves no spiritual character of ours untouched. And you ask us, O oh God, to measure our Christianity against how it is we align with your will for our lives. Thank you for Jesus today. Thank you for the promise that beyond the law there is gospel. Give us Jesus this morning as we confront once again the calling you place upon each and every one of us. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, we ask this. Amen. It should not be overlooked that the Sermon on the Mount is not just a sermon. It is a very real moment in the life of Jesus, his disciples, and some crowds that were gathered around in which he talked to them and they listened. And while they were listening, they were processing the question, who is this guy? What is he doing here? And as sometimes you and I do, why am I listening to him? Why can't I quit him? That's a true statement. When all is said and done, after we parse through all the nouns and verbs that Holy Scripture contains and retains of this sermon, at the end of the day, it is simply a speech that was given on a very normal day between Jesus and some people that he thought it would be important for them to listen in. And boy, did he give them something to listen to. Today what I want to do as we come into this text, which if you were listening as it was being read by Pastor Allen, you were probably scratching your head and culturally as 21st century Americans, you were probably wrestling pretty, pretty intently, intensely with the commands and expectations and parameters for life with other people that Jesus Christ was expressing on behalf of his Father who art in heaven. Um, friends, it's uh, 8.23 in the morning. We've got about another 37 minutes left together. I don't think I'm going to make a very good run at any of Matthew chapter 5 in terms of the details and application for the commandments 5, 6, and 8. That is, the commandments having to do with murder, adultery, and the way in which we, we bear witness to the truth in this world. In fact, I probably at some point in time should just in honoring you have a Bible study that lasts for a good three to four hours because, again, these are theological horse pills for our 21st century American sensitivities, and yet Jesus said it, and so we wrestle mightily with how to apply these very strong words of Jesus. Thankfully, we have a context here at Shepherd of the Desert. And yes, I am going to bring up my favorite slide ever. 
Poink. There you go. Because we are reminding ourselves, why did Jesus come? Matthew chapter 3 and 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, be transformed or changed. I did that, I want you to realize, in less than 10 seconds, and we are now moving along. Into the next 30-second little clip, which is, what are the areas of change? It has to do with our character, confession, our calling, or the consolation that God brings into our heart. Let's use this as a framework for looking at Matthew chapter 5 and applying it to our lives. Let's use this sermon as a lesson in how to read scripture. Let's use this message today that I'm preaching as an opportunity for us to allow Jesus Christ to catch us unawares, to not just do with scripture what we typically do, not just listen in our usual way of listening, but let's let God's word challenge us deeply and maybe change the way that we interface with this world. Now on the one side, as we listen to these words from Jesus saying, you've heard it said, do not murder, I tell you, don't even say a bad or naughty word to your brother or sister. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I am telling you, don't even let your eye look in an adulterous or lustful way at another human being. You've heard it said, you've heard it said, you must not bear false witness or swear an oath. I tell you, don't even do anything except say yes and no. Immediately, we are drawn to the conversation around character. In fact, as I mentioned before, as you were listening, you were probably thinking, now is this something that I really think should constrain my behavior in a, uh, in a, in a specific way? This is Captain Obvious moment here when we talk about character. Um, obviously, Jesus is talking about the Ten Commandments, right? What I just talked with Jordan and Olive and, and Evelyn about, this is, this is the focus of the early part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said just a couple verses before our reading for today, not a jot or tittle, not the single stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until it is fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away before anything from the law passes away. And that goes right to the core of our character. Let me ask you this question. How do these words change the way that you behave in the week ahead? How do these words impact the expression of your character in this world? Maybe it's the words you speak. Maybe it is the thoughts you entertain Maybe it is the truthfulness by which you interact with others in this life of yours. Obviously, Jesus is nicking and chipping away at character flaws in each of us. But that's not the only thing that's going on in this text. There's something else going on in this text, and that is having to do with our confession. Um, not at first glance, by the way, is this all that apparent, but if you read it, you realize that something odd is happening right now. Jesus says uh, these words in the Sermon on the Mount in a very specific way. There's a specific formula to it, and it goes like this. You've heard it said in Sunday school, in a children's lesson, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. 
You've heard those words said they have been ingrained in the fabric of your being. But then notice the next part of the formula. But I tell you. That's where in the conversation, the Sermon on the Mount, the processing begins because who spoke the words the first time make a difference for how we're hearing these words the second time. Specifically, we know that God the Father gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai way back when. And now Jesus comes along and says over and against the words of his father, you've heard my dad, <coughs> you've heard my dad say it, but now I, I just need to uh, revise and extend his remarks. This is, this is kind of like Congress is in session. I, I reserve the right to revise and extend my remarks, Jesus says, and, and the remarks came first from my dad, but now I'm going to say them to you, which causes the people and us who read to ask the question, who does this guy think he is? That he can just take the Ten Commandments, sacred as they are, given to Moses in a cloud so that his face was glowing with the glory of God. Who does this guy think he is to go up on another mountain centuries later and give a new set of commands? Make even more tedious the call of God on our character. Who is this man? The answer is it is none other than the one who is God's heir apparent. This is God himself. The only person who can contravene God's word, the only person who can switch it up, make it more interesting, throw a, throw a grenade in the middle of it, the only one who can do that is, is God. And as we read this text, are we believing that the one who gives these laws does in fact have the divine authority to change them up. This is not an issue of character. This is the issue that will come at the end of this Sermon on the Mount where the crowds will listen to him and they will be in awe, we are told. The summary, the ending of this Sermon on the Mount is not, wow, I, I really need to rethink my thought life. Wow, I really need to think how I'm, how I'm talking because I'm really talking murderously. No, that's not the outcome. If you read the last verse of chapter seven, which is the last part of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were amazed why because Jesus taught as one who had, as one who had authority. Why did Jesus teach as one who had authority? Answer, because he had authority, right? I mean, that's it. That's the shocker, the shocker of it all. It will be reinforced all the way through the Gospel of Matthew, even to the moment we come to the end where the centurion at the foot of the cross will say, truly this man was the Son of God. In some ways, frankly, the Sermon on the Mount has less to do with character and more to do with the God who constrains our character by his commands in the first place. Uh, but there's some options. I want to take you to our next little shit there, and that is calling. You know, anytime we read scripture, our callings in life 
in our family structures, in our work and employment structures, in our civic structures as citizens, our callings can always go under the microscope. Always an option for us to review our callings in life. How are you talking to your husband or your wife these days? Is it with rancor and anger and judgment? How are you thinking these days and behaving when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to the way in which you're teaching your children how to behave in their relationships with the opposite sex? How is it that you are living out the truth and truthfulness that God expects of you as his child in those that are living in this society where fake news is ever, ever hunting and haunting innocent lives. See, this is the opportunity for us not to just kind of think about God's word in a vacuum, but to realize that God's word for us is always a word that is lived out in a very broad community. And this community is our callings in life. And then finally, consolation. Easily forgotten, easily forgotten throughout our readings of Scripture. But you know, the reality is that there are times when we are in patterns of experience and we can get sucked into patterns of experience and, 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 and we can experience the evil of this world and after a while we just grow numb to it. And we just assume, well, this is the way the world is, this is the way my marriage is, this is the way that men treat women, women treat men, and it's, it's just something I've got to deal with. I'm mindful of that well-worn statistic that sometimes after a while, a husband or a wife will simply relent and just assume that her spouse or his spouse are just serial um, adulterers. Or that verbal abuse and emotional abuse in a marriage or between a parent and a child. Well, this is just the way it's always been for us, and it's just normal, and you know, what more can I expect? Oh, we, we just get through the rough spots, and we, we make the, the, you know, the, the mountains you know, what they can be, but it's just the way our marriage works. It's just the way we talk to each other. When I read these words from the Sermon on the Mount... It gives me courage to be able to say to you this morning, if you're living in a relationship where these things are true and they are being presumed upon you, that's not okay. And bluntly, you don't have to keep living like that. Consolation reminds us that God wants to heal us of the hurts and the evil that is inflicted on us over the course of a lifetime. 
that sometimes the most important change that we make in our life is not necessarily a change in our behavior, but a change in the circumstances which we have grown to tolerate over a long period of time, circumstances that are not healthy for us. I love, I love when my daughters will call back from college and they will have gone to a doctor's office for a physical or because they've got a cold or whatnot and the typical practice now that the nurse will come in and in fact, I think it actually happened to me recently where the nurse comes in, you know, takes your blood pressure and asks the question, is there anybody in your life with whom you are not safe? And, and I'm like, Wow. A, that we live in a world where we have to ask that question behind closed medical office doors, on the back of bathroom stalls. If you are not safe, call this number and someone will help you. This word from Scripture is not just a word of correction for behavior, it is a word of courage for God's precious children to say, stop, no more. I don't have to keep on living like this. And it's something that we need to be able to say in the church. And if this is the word that you're getting from Jesus today, God be praised. God be praised. Now, let me acknowledge, and let me just do a little something here real quick. Um, we are, in this church, we are a Lutheran congregation, and in the Lutheran communion of Christianity, in the Lutheran uh, flavor, all right, secret sauce of Lutheranism, uh, one of the things that we really celebrate is a three-word phrase that I'd like you all to say with me, because it's an important piece of our life together. And that phrase is, some of you will know it, law and gospel. Say that phrase with me, would you? Law and gospel. So as Lutherans, we love God's law because it provides for us a mirror on our lives, a curb for our behavior, and a rule or guide for us to get in line with as we walk as a Christian. Curb, mirror, ruler, that's the guide. That's the, that's the nature of God's law. But God's law God's law always leads us either to the gospel or back to the gospel. And I just want you to remember that as we look at character, confession, calling, and consolation, as I've kind of walked you through those four categories and how they relate to Matthew chapter 5 that was read for us today, I just want you to remember, obviously not at first glance, always an option and easily forgotten, always turn into... Jesus, if you're struggling with an aspect of your character as you hear these words, I want you to know today that Jesus knows that struggle you're having and he wants you to hear clearly, this is a day for you to know God's great mercy, his great forgiveness of your sins, the reason why his son went to the cross if you've been struggling with adultery, if you've been struggling with murder in its various forms, if you've been struggling with the with transaction of the truth, know this today, God wants you to have a fresh start. Jesus says, in me you have forgiveness. Now let's dust ourselves off and, and, and make a go at it again.
But it starts not with your effort. It starts with his restoration and forgiveness. That's always the way. God first loved us, and therefore we can love God. When we talk about confession, it's the knowledge that all theology is Christology. Anytime we talk about any area of our faith, it always leads back to Jesus because Jesus Christ is the, is the perfect expression. Gee, uh, scripture says he is the perfect representation of everything that God is. And at the heart of Jesus, we know, is a single word. Maybe you even saw it on our social media this, this past week on Valentine's Day, right? For God so loved the world. Love is at the heart of who Jesus is as he expresses God to this world. Oh, Jesus will speak words of law. He does it here in the Sermon on the Mount. But as we know, it's not just for the law to reign supreme. It's to get to the point where the people say, who, who is this guy? Well, the guy who's standing on a mountain now will, in short order, by the end of this gospel, be hanging on a tree, stuck in the post hole of one. Jesus is the heart and soul of our confession. Calling, the way that Jesus mercifully, tenderly speaks and cares for us, is the way that we understand our callings. And again, that forgiveness and mercy for us to know, not just in our character, but Jesus can restore our relationships. When Jesus is at the center, we can go to our spouse and say, I'm going to talk to you better from now on. And your spouse can say, well, it's about time. And I hear your call for mercy and I forgive you. Honey, let's do this together. Let's reframe the way we speak to each other in our marriage, in our friendships, with our children and grandchildren. And finally, when it comes to that word of consolation, when Jesus puts his spirit in us, in 1 Timothy we hear these words, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of fear, but of power, strength, and self-discipline. With the faith that we have in Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, he gives us a spirit that makes us courageous to say to all the forces of evil, all the ways of wickedness in this world, this is the line and you will no longer cross it. And then he puts around us the shoulder of the church from pastors to parishioners in order for us to have a family in the darkest times and the most stressful of circumstances to lean on and know I will not be forsaken by God and I will not be left alone by his church. There is where I will find the courage for the consolation God seeks to give me over and against the wickedness of this world. So I ask you two questions today. How will you follow Jesus differently this week? That's a question of the law. 
It may be in response to what you see in the mirror. It might be in response to what God is guiding you to walk as a, how God is guiding you to walk as one of his children. But that is ultimately a question of the law and that question of the law still remains for Christians to answer. Not a single jot or tittle will pass away. God's word never passes away. Heaven and earth will pass away before anything God has ever said passes away. So it's still in effect, and how will you follow Jesus differently this week? The second question, the gospel question, is equally important. How will Jesus walk with you while you do walk differently this week? As the Savior as the courageous spirit at work within you, as the one who teaches you how to live in this calling, how will Jesus walk with you today? Let me simply say, if you've not met Jesus and bent the knee of your heart toward him, everything I've said this far is inconsequential. See, Jesus is not just the one who started the Sermon on the Mount. He's the one who begins this conversation with you. And if today is the day that you bend your heart and say, Jesus, you know, I've heard about you. I may have even been in church with you for quite a long time. But today is the day that I want my baptism to become real. I want my faith to be alive in me. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's start walking with him anew. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the opportunity to walk as your people. We look in a mirror of the law and we see how many different ways we could change in order to be more faithful and aligned with you. As we look in that mirror, Lord, help us not just see our failings, but help us see the success of Jesus who walked faithfully all the way to the cross and beyond. And by his life and his death and by his glorious resurrection, open to us the way of everlasting life. Especially for those in this room who need courage to stare down the evil that has surrounded them and say, I'm drawing a line in the sand, no more. Give them that courage. And not just the courage inside their heart, but the church around their shoulders. They know that there are people in this congregation, pastors to parishioners, that they can lean on for the support and strength they need in order to walk to a better place in life of well-being and wholeness and restoration and hope. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you, be our hope in all things. Preach to us, Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.